Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella, your host for the podcast Grief Recovery Now. So enthusiastic about our podcast today. We have an awesome guest today that I thank my lucky stars that he's going to be, he's on the show today to share his life and his passions, his work passions and life work with all of us. And so I'm very excited about it. As a lot of you know, I always tell people, this is a come as you are podcast, wherever you are in the grief space. If you've had long-term grief that just doesn't seem to go away, you're in the right place. If this is a recent loss, you're in the right place. If you're not sure what grief is, or you're walking through life in certain areas that you're wondering, why is it not working? Whether it be relationship, family, the the opposite sex, the same sex in work or whatever. It's like, what's going on? Something, a lot of life works really well, but there's certain areas that I don't seem to get. It could be maybe unresolved or incomplete grief. We don't know. And I'm glad you're here today. If you know somebody's going through extreme grief, who is incapacitated, who can't seem to get up in the morning, you know, you're in the right place. Please share the podcast with them or anyone you think might be interested. Social media is great too. Let's spread the word about grief recovery. I'm going to talk a little bit before we have John Lee, our awesome guest on. I was thinking about a part of what grief is, at least one of the definitions of grief. Grief is a conflicting feelings caused by the end or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. And saying that, I've been noticing because we're just getting out of COVID and there's still still thing, you know, lingering things going on with the COVID pandemic, but people are going back to work. And this change of behavior and sudden change in life, it has started happening a little over a year ago. I would say almost a year and a half ago, where we all had to stay home. We couldn't go to work. We didn't get to say goodbye to certain relationships. Children going to school, college, did not get to go to school every day. People didn't get to graduate with their friends in person. Things change so suddenly. And the conflicting emotions, I believe there's some good stuff that came out of COVID. Adults got to relax a little more. They weren't so busy. Even children, they weren't out there doing soccer and then piano practice right afterwards and doing all kinds of activities. It was a time to settle and just be, even if it's just watching, binge watching on Netflix. Okay, so we adapted, right? And then now we're, and then even adapting, did we ever really take a look of what 
was going on inside of us in this sudden change in our behaviors or day-to-day behaviors, our secondary relationships that we had at the coffee room, at work, people we didn't necessarily talk to for a year and a half, but boy, they were an integral part of our life every day, or even the person at Starbucks. And then now let's go forward to people going back to work, even some companies demanding that employees go back to work in September. There's one big financial institution says you have to go back to work. You've got to be vaccinated. You've got to be COVID free, and then you can go back to work, but you must return to work. And then I've known of some companies who wrote, you know, sent an email to all their employees, thousands of them about coming back to work. They took a survey. I would say 80% did not want to go back to work. COVID was a paradigm shift for many of us. It was an upheaval. And did we really even look at it, what it meant to us? Did we have feelings about it? Were we allowed? We were like, okay, pick ourselves up by the bootstraps, an old saying of ours, you got to be strong. That tells us we cannot have feelings about what's going on. Have we talked around the kitchen table or dinner table? and talked about the losses that we had with COVID. And now again, now they're uncomfortable going back to work. That's a change of behavior, conflicting feelings. It's sort of fun. I I liked going to the office every day. I liked going out and about and having my routine. But then there's a part of me is I love the simplicity. I like working on Zoom. We're having board meetings that we met in person. I'm on a board of directors for a homeless place and we do collaborative housing for the homeless. I'm on a board. We used to meet in person all the time. Some people did things on phones once in a while. But I tell you, I enjoyed the interaction. But I tell you, I loved going on Zoom. And we had a talk yesterday at the board meeting. It's like, okay, when do we resume going in person? I said, I'd rather not. I'd rather do it quarterly. So that was a paradigm shift for me. And this world is changing because of COVID. And so I just want you to honor your emotions. Maybe write a list. How How do you feel about even pass, go back, don't shortchange or do a bypass on the beginning of COVID. You know, just write down work, family, friends, music, going out socializing, write about your conflicting feelings about that, as well as going forward in the world. We have this in little cocoon and we forget about the joy we felt at work sometimes, some of the good things that we enjoyed about going to work because we're so comfortable in this one space. It's hard to take and change new actions and the conflicting motions, they're good, they're not so good. So just think about it. I just thought I'd give you food for thought to really go into this new chapter of after COVID, I hope. And and I wanna thank you for being here today. I'm so grateful. There's so many people around the world who are listening in. So glad I wanna start this grief recovery movement, not start it, but be part of it. And just, I welcome you and please share it again. And thank you for listening. I would like to enthusiastically introduce our guest today. And let me tell you how I met John Lee. I noticed John on Facebook. I have no idea why he popped up on my Facebook. Not sure how it happened, but I noticed a book he wrote called, Where Do I Go From Her? And I was like, oh, this seems like something that could be interesting on the grief space. So being the sleuth 
I am and the researcher I am, I checked him out and I noticed that he works in so many beautiful areas. His life work is so full and beautiful. He's been traveling around the country for over 30 years. And let me tell you a little bit about his in his short bio here. John Lee, best-selling author of The Flying Boy, Healing the Wounded Man, as well as over 25 other books, is a pioneer in the fields of self-help, anger management, recovery, codependency, emotional regression, emotional intelligence, relationships, and men's issues. His highly innovative work in these fields have made him an in-demand consultant, teacher, trainer, life coach, and speaker. John has been featured on Oprah, 2020, Barbara Walters, The View, CNN, PBS, and NPR. He has been interviewed by Newsweek, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, and a dozen of other national and international magazines and radio talk shows. John's work in recovery, codependency, and adult children has positioned him as a leader in the field of addiction and his work with men's issues, including grief recovery. He became known as one of the leaders and early pioneers of the men's movement. His mentoni I don't know if I screwed that up, but it's either Mentone or Mentoni Alabama Men's Conference co-hosted with Robert Bly ran for 16 years and drew participants from around the world. John has conducted private and group sessions on a variety of issues, working with men, women, couples, and families. His lectures, workshops, and trainings deliver sensitive, sophisticated material to audiences in a humorous and simple way everyone can understand. His lectures have been branded as hilariously entertaining, deeply compassionate, yet filled with, I love this, tell it like it is. After 30 years of touring nationally and internationally, best-selling author John Lee is now back in Austin, Texas, where he is continuing his life's work. He also has a few dogs, which he loves very much. <laughs> so welcome, John. Please, everyone, help me welcome John Lee. Well, well, who is that guy you were talking about? Some guy from Austin, Texas. He sounds like a workaholic to me. <laughs> we can Thank talk you for about having that. Thanks for having me on the show, and I appreciate you doing the research and finding me, and now I get to find you, and now we get to talk about a subject that we should be talking a lot more about. That's awesome. I'm so happy you're, you're on the bandwagon regarding grief recovery. I really appreciate it, and I just absolutely knew, and I love the men's issues, among other issues that go on. But do we talk about men's grief and what's the difference? And I'll ask you that later. But for now, as you know, we talk about what happened, what is it like now, mm -hmm. and where you are now. <laughs> I'm sitting in a chair with a very intelligent, funny, quirky woman who's doing this interview and podcast, and I'm glad to be. Listen, I, I, I'm just going to cut to the chase. The level of rage that we're seeing in our society now, like we've never seen before, in part, in part is due to the fact that we have not grieved, especially the losses of the last year and a half. 
But as a culture and as a society, and as you well know, I'm not telling you anything new, we as a culture do not collectively grieve losses, changes, and transitions. We either numb the sadness and hurt, we drink it away, Netflix it away, but as a society, we do not come together to collectively grieve. And after all the losses that has happened in this last year and a half, there's going to be some dust that settles and there's going to be an abundance of outpouring of need for grief and and the grieving process. And uh, tell me about you. I know there's something underneath why you started your career in doing what you're doing. Can you talk a little bit about yourself personally? You know, even from the book, where do I go from her? Or anything else you'd like to talk to, men's issues? The main thing, Charlene, was when I was 33, I had been teaching college in the English department and the religious studies department. And so professionally, I had sort of intellectually achieved a little bit. But the woman that I was with who left me told me two things when she left. And one was, John, you're the angriest person I've ever known. And John, you're the saddest person I've ever known. And you're not in touch with either. And you won't let me be in touch with mine. Now, my immediate response, my silly 33-year-old immediate response was, how can you call me the angriest person Uh, I I teach religious studies. I've never slapped you, hit you, that kind of thing. And she just said, John, you have such an emotional disconnect with your feelings. You wouldn't know a feeling if it came up and bit you on the ass. You're just that disconnected, which is what 99 out of 100 men uh, have been told for decades You're not connected to your grief. You're not connected to sadness. You're connected to your brain. You're connected to your profession. You're connected to money. And so I went into processes with the sole purpose of saying, you know what? I think she's right. I don't know what it means, but I got to find out. And in 1981, Robert Bly had an interview in the Sun magazine, and one line stood out to me intellectually. I'll never forget. He said, grief is the doorway into mature masculinity. Can you repeat that? Grief is the doorway into a man's mature masculinity. So at 33, unable to grieve, I'm still a boy. I'm still a boy. That's why I call the book The Flying Boy, because I had not entered that grief process that older men, adult men can sometimes participate in, but not many unless they have good guides and good guidances. So I worked and the grief came and the sadness came and I threw myself into body work, emotional release work, primal therapy all these old things that were back in the 70s and 80s, purely as a thing to connect with my body and had some success, wrote about it, 
And to this day, The Flying Boy is just a simple story about fathers and sons, unexpressed grief and hurt. And it sold 500 million copies, you know, and just it resonated with men, especially women who were living with men like me who didn't were not connected. So grief and anger has been two of my main specialities, and especially as men have a problem with doing anger work, but are able to rage, but cannot do deep grief work for fear of where it might take them, and for fear that they will not be deeply masculine. In uh, 1989, Psychology Today did a research study and printed it that essentially said, when a man sheds tears of sadness, his testosterone increases. Really? And so if you cry, <laughs> you're, you're less than manly. You, you're, you know, sissy a week. And I'll never forget when I read that study because I, I, I literally had set up to take, teach a grief workshop in New York uh, maybe a day or two after that uh, article came out. And, and then about two years later, Charlene, uh, they did another study where men who had high testosterone levels, when they wept tears of sadness, it brought their testosterone down. And so grieving and weeping and all that is actually an attempt to balance us out. So somebody has high, high testosterone, it's not really serving them as a human in a balanced way. Right. So it goes down. Yeah. Oh. When a man connects to his sadness and lets the tears of sadness out, he can be, uh, his testosterone can be measured. And, and we're talking about the, the macho hockey guys and football guys. That was who was studied, and, and sure enough, when they were shown sad images or stories, then they could qualify and see their testosterone go down. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. that was very important study, I think. It certainly shaped my thoughts and my teachings, especially to men. But Robert Bly was, was the man who said, first, men must grieve. Can you tell us a little bit for people who don't know who Robert Bly is? I know he was a groundbreaker. Yeah, in the early 80s, he decided to work with men and deal with men. And he was, a was I mean, he's still alive. He's 95. But he was a, a one of America's premier poets and storytellers. And so somehow he brought poetry and storytelling and mythology like Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung and, and devoted this to men's conferences. And in the early days, Bill Moyers came in and did a documentary on him based on this famous book, bestseller book that he wrote called Iron John, a book for men. And he just skyrocketed off and really became the father of what was called the men's movement. And so we went on with that and we co-taught for 20 years together and did probably 50 men's gatherings. But during the early 80s, he was getting anywhere from 1,500 
to 2,000 men in an audience to listen to a poet and a storyteller talk about primarily grieving. Wow. So how was it that you two got together? Like you were just, were you just exploring it? And how did you two sort of commingle together and do workshops together? What an honor. What an honor that I'll be grateful for till the day I die. And there's no rational, logical explanation for it. I started studying him at a distance while I was doing my personal work and, and found it to, because I taught literature and poetry at the university. So I knew of him as, as a national American poet. But then, long story short, he read The Flying Boy, my book. He supported it before we ever met. He was interviewed in the New York Times uh, book review, the 10 most important books he said everybody needed to read. And, and one was The Flying Boy. And somehow fate, synchronicity, God, higher power, whatever you call it, just put us, I mean, the stories that put us together would take hours to tell. Beautiful. I have a, a question. You've worked with women too, and maybe oh, yeah. children. How, if a man is listening to this and they've had rage or anger issues, what happens to the woman when they're with someone, whether for a short time or lifetime, what happens to them? How, how do they grieve differently than men? Or is there a difference? And how are they affected by this rage, anger, or unresolved, incomplete grief? Like, like I said, 99 men out of 100 would have to be prompted, usually in some kind of crisis way, some major loss, some major change, some major transition to go into grief. Women are born into grief. Nine out of 100 women could access their grief and their sadness because they were more connected to their bodies. And their heart? And their hearts, yeah. Whereas men, I used to describe myself as a young man, as a head on a stick. I had no ability to connect below the neck. And women, in my opinion, most women, not all, I've had women sit in my workshop saying, no, I'm just as distant from my feelings as my ex-husband, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. but it's, it's always been the, that women are connected more to their bodies, more to their emotions. They have a higher EQ than men generally. And I know my EQ <laughs> was like on the floor somewhere <laughs> and I just decided I got to do this. But Robert was a main influence. The other man that influenced me in the recovery field was John Bradshaw, who oh. might be familiar. He was very famous. and He read my uh, early books and took it to his publisher to publish. So I, I stand on the shoulders of giants. I loved him. He did a lot of inner child work. I remember yeah. so he'd be on PBS all the time. Yeah. It, yeah, it was very important. Oh boy, how what a wonderful life you've lived in. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. I mean, I, I'll tell you the short story. Um, Robert Bly was speaking in a town not far from Austin here, and it's a big Jungian conference. And the woman who uh, spearheaded that was my professor working when I was working on my doctorate. She knew I was interested in Robert Bly, and they had him come to speak. And so he's, she said, uh, John, you should attend that because I know you're interested in it. I said, Betty Sue, I don't have the money to attend a union conference. I mean, that would have been back then like $300. <laughs> Long story short, she got me a scholarship. 
When I got there and checked in, I asked them, where would I be seated? And they said, up front. I said, you mean in front of the, the row of chairs? No, up there at the tables where dinner will be served after this, the speaker. And I could, in my dyslexia, I couldn't figure out what they, what do you mean up front? I'm on scholarship here. I, I didn't pay for this. And, and they said, Betty Sue Flowers, who did a lot of work with Joseph Campbell's stuff, she had it fixed so that I would sit next to Robert during the whole dinner and reading. And that's, that was sort of the beginning of the first face-to-face connection. And then we had many more after that. That's so beautiful. Where are you at now? I know you're off the road. You're in Austin, Texas. Looking back, what do you think is a common theme? And I know we're all different. And and what do you think is, you talk about the rage and the anger. What is the difference, first of all, between rage and anger? Well, that's a good question that I've been trying to teach clinicians and the general public for 30 years. Anger is a feeling and an emotion. And if it's expressed appropriately, equals energy, intimacy, and serenity. Rage is an action or a behavior that always equals distance, disaster, and divorce. And clinicians, many clinicians, have not been taught the difference between the two and therefore do not work with their clients about the difference between the two. Uh, in, in psychological parlance and in and, and lay uh, conversations, people use the two words interchangeably as if they mean the same thing. And, you know, my first book that came out at Anger on Anger with Bantam, I just say, listen, they're different animals and they need to be worked with differently. And you got to stop using these words interchangeably as if they mean the same thing. Anger is a divine, sacred feeling that's just as important to us for our protection and uh, safety, Uh, but it's just a feeling. But eventually it gets stuffed, 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 and then it slips over into rage. And rage is an action or it's a behavior. See, when we saw the Capitol building being mobbed, Mm-hmm. That wasn't anger that we were seeing. That was rage. That was, so that was not oh, anger yeah. we were seeing. It was rage. Rage, because it had been building up. And so a lot of people will say, oh, I want you to work with my husband. He's so angry. And I say, tell me how he expresses anger. And they'll tell me, and I go, that, that has nothing to do with anger. Your husband has slipped over into rage. And now you have been battered either emotionally or some other way due to that. Um, I've always said anger and grief are hand in glove. If they're really connected to their emotions and going through grief, they might then be open enough to slip into their appropriate anger. And then they'll slip back into their sadness for all the losses. Now, one of the things, Charlene, uh, I want to make a distinction here. This is something that I started working with some time ago. Grief, grieving, and grief work, and the difference between those three. Grief, grieving, and grief work. So somebody goes to a funeral, they may experience grief, and they may experience grief for days or weeks or months. We don't know. But they don't continue the process of grieving 
to some level of completion. And so people who don't do that with these losses, changes, and transitions, then ultimately they have to do grief work. And that scares the bejesus out of people, the grief work. Yes. People are afraid to do the work or they're just, they don't know it. I don't really need it. I'm fine the way I am. And it's not saying you're not fine where you are. You are where you are. And you're so honored. It's mm-hmm. like once you start learning the grief work and built and, and learning to live in a different way with people and acknowledging your emotions in a healthy way, like ain't the difference between anger and rage. Once you learn how to do this type of work, like, like grief recovery method that I do, you live differently because you just end up living it and you don't have to be in profound grief. Of course, we'll be in profound grief. If anything happened to any of my loved ones, my sisters, my boyfriend or whatever, I'd be in extreme grief. Grief, that is just a natural way of being the circle of life. But I did grief work because I had some incompleteness and unresolvedness that affected my life. The filters I was walking through, I was scratching my head. What is this? How come I can't seem to do what I dream of doing or having in my life until I did the grief work. Now it's like something shifted. It's like the filter just went away and I'm a free as a bird woman. Mm -hmm. And and I'm going to ask you something. And this isn't because we're both in our sixties, right? How are you feeling about getting older? You've mentioned it a couple of times as we were talking, how is that? Is there sort of a I know myself. I was talking to some 30-year-old. She's talking about all these beautiful things she's doing. I'm like, awesome. But there was a part of me that thought, I'm, I have more years in back of me than I do in front of me. Maybe I'll have just as much. And I felt this little mm, feeling like a sadness, you know, having a little bit of grief. Well, some grief. I had some feelings about it of my youth. Or even when I, I never had children and I was going to therapy at one time years ago. And I said, I've never had children. I never had this like burning desire to bear my own children. And it just didn't happen. I had my baby and my business and all that kind of stuff. And she told me you're grieving. She goes, even nuns, I've have clients who are nuns who will never have children. They know that's a chapter. See, they that's, that's, never. That's the point right there. Most people think you're supposed to grieve about something that you had and lost. But equal component is what you never had. That that requires just as much grief as what you had but lost. Mm. I didn't have I didn't have children either. And I had to grieve my face off because circumstances just didn't allow for that to happen. But it was like, no, that's a major loss. I never participated in. So people need to hear that, that it's not what you, only what you had and lost, but what you never had and you're never going to. Right. Uh, one time I was, I was turning maybe 55 and I was keynoting a lecture, big conference, and I felt something weird happening in my mouth. And so I, I had to say to the audience, excuse me just a second, I'm sorry about this, but, and so I covered my mouth and I reached into my mouth and I pulled out a tooth and tears started running down my eyes and at the center of the keynoting thing. Young man in the back, I'm going to say, 
he was in his late 20s. I was mid-50s by then. He said, why are you weeping and crying? Because that tooth came out. I said, because, bud, I had this backlog of grief that took me so long to empty out that I want to stay current with my grief. Because this is the beginning of the losses that age is going to bring to me. And he said, well, but Mr. Lee, it's just a tooth. I said, it's a part of my body and I'm going to lose other parts of my body. And and he said, well, I I just don't get it. I said, well, when you turn 50 or 60, you call me up and tell me and how much you didn't grieve it. And now you're all backlogged with it. Right. There is backlog. And I think it does cause, it does cause physical pain. It does cause mind dullness and it does affect the physical. We have a little bit more time left. I know you've got another appointment coming up. Can you tell us what you're doing now? I know you're in Austin most of the time. You're not traveling as much. What are you doing now? If someone wants to meet with you or something happening in the near future. I do mostly since the virus, especially the whole video counseling thing just blew my mind. I mean, I thought people would drop out of counseling because they were losing their jobs or whatever. My my private practice increased threefold all during the grief, uh, all during the COVID period and still is. And then all my speaking engagements for 2020 and 21 all got shut down. And so basically where I am now is I see clients either locally or internationally on this thing. And I'm still working on books, writing books. I got a new book coming out probably in the next two months. What's it called? If you want to share or just what it's it about? called the odd, the odd one out, the odd one out. And it's a collection of me trying to sort of set the record straight about a lot of different terms and uh, thinking that psychology and recovery sort of screwed up a little bit. Like I talk about the difference between depression and despair and how they're very different. I talk about the difference between anxiety and fear and how they're very different. And those kinds of things are in the book. So I'm just going to keep writing. Uh, I got a little publisher now in California that prints my stuff. I see 10, 15 people a week. Though I started letting local people come into my house uh, if they've been vaccinated, and I have. And I'm sort of semi-retired and glad to be. And I'm staying pretty current with my feelings of loss. I have knee replacements, hip replacement, and that was all, all had to be grieved, the losses of the body parts of my youth. Yes, yes. Well, thanks for sharing that so authentically and heartfully. And I'm so happy you were on the show today. I'd love to have you back. But when your next book comes out, let's get you on. We have more to say about this, men's issues, how women yeah. relate to that. And, and any last tips for one for a man and one for a woman on grief when they're dealing with an anger or a rageful person or anything else you can think of? Well, for men, I would say, Listen, you got to stop raging and you got to get in touch with your anger because you have it and it's okay and we can deal with it. And if you'll get it out, you'll feel more serenity and peace and calmness. And women, you have to stop putting up 
with men's rage. You have to stop putting up with men's rage. You got to call it as you see it. You got to get help for yourself if you're around it. And then women, you keep on grieving uh, out of your body losses. And men, you start connecting to the sadness that lives in your shoulders and your throat and your chest, your arms, and, and let it start pouring out. Uh, I'll tell you a funny Robert Bly story. When I got married uh, 25 years ago, he was my best man at the wedding. And my wife was from Ecuador. And so she had all her... Ecuadorian family at the wedding. And, and, and Robert and I had all our men's guys and recovery guys at our wedding. And so at the uh, reception at the end of the wedding, he said he had to do a speech. And he said, uh, what can I say about John Lee? Now, this, this is a flamboyant poet, troubadour guy who already looks weird as hell to everybody in there for whether they're from Ecuador or not. And he says, John Lee is a great weeper. He weeps at everything. <laughs> He's easy to cry. You, if, it's, if it's sad, you'll see at these conferences, John Lee weeping along with the guys. Who are we, and I'm just sitting and <laughs> watching these people from Ecuador go, <laughs> this is who our little girl is marrying. <laughs> and they're so got- macho, right? You know, the guy who's weeping all the time. And finally, I said, Robert, let's let's tell him some other good things about me. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is great. All right, dear. Thank you very, very much for having me. I hope it worked for you and hope people enjoyed it some. And and let's do this again soon and be in touch personally and professionally again soon okay i would love that and thank you everyone who listened this is here for you so i hope you enjoyed it share it again i want to share it with the world thank you everybody for listening to grief recovery now we're on all the podcast platforms we love you appreciate you and thank the stars for you thank you for joining our grief recovery now journey like what you heard It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts. And we'll keep you posted on our next podcasts. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash G-R-M-S forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.